Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. It's so good to see everybody here, and I'm just that excited because this whole month, uh, we're going to be talking about the vision, the mission, and uh, the culture of our church and the values that shape our culture. So if you're new and you don't know what, what, what is this church about, uh, you'll find out over the next few weeks. And I've called this, uh, this month in November, the series, if you will, that we're doing, I've called it This Is Us. This is us. And it's not just a vision out there of, of what the pastor sees or somebody sees. It's, it's what we all need to see together. And it, it's really what uh, shapes this, this church's culture. And the mission is just what we're doing. And the vision is, quite frankly, it's just simply what we see. It's really important, though, to realize that who we follow and who we worship, the uh, WHO, is more important than the HOW. Uh, both words have three letters. In fact, both words have the same three letters. Y'all go, wait a minute. Yeah. You can discover that. Take your time. Uh, but they all, W-H-O and H-O-W are, uh, they're, they're composed of the same letters, and they've both got three. But the difference is profound. And if we started with, with, with just the how, or I could even say this, the do, what are we going to do? Uh, we've really missed it. Because what we do is determined by who it is that we worship and who it is that we follow. How we do it is determined by the who. And it's important for us to focus upon him and, and realize that he has a plan. It's not complicated. Um, I know God can do complicated. I've been uh, studying E equals MC squared, and I've also been looking at that's relativity and, and, and quantum mechanics. I just love that, the discovery. It's just like the child in me is like, how does that work? Have you ever done that before? You know, energy, E equals M, mass, times the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second squared. That's times itself. That's pretty fast. I reckon it's a little bit faster than the car that you're driving or anything else. It's just, it's so fast. And, and I'm, I'm so profoundly uh, blown away by what God has created, how he created it. I started to think about it. I'm not going to go on too big of a side journey here, but... <laughs> I started to think about, because uh, energy and mass are, are the same, they convert into one another, and I started to think about, okay, if, if mass, as in like coal or hydrogen in the sun, can be converted into energy, that's the sun, the energy that we're getting from the sun, what about the other way around? What about the flip side? How, so energy actually gets converted into mass, and I started, how does that work? And then it just took me on this journey uh, to discover a whole lot of things about gravity and about uh, light and that light can carry energy actually and and that before this material world came into existence in fact uh, most of science is just consumed with the material the matter part of it uh, so they start with the big bang or whatever but before all that the bible says god is light before time god existed He's outside of time. He created time. And, and 
for light to enter into a situation and carry that much energy to create this much mass that we call the universe, that's a pretty amazing God. And that's why I think it's really important for us to start with the who, not just the how. Like, I, I like discovering the how does it all work, and, and I, I've come to this conclusion, and so have the physicists and the astrophysicists and um, everybody else, that they don't know. They really, they're trying to figure it all out, and they're baffled by most of it. But rather than just start with the how, I just want to get to know the who. And if the who deems it uh, expedient for, for me or for you to know the how, he'll share it with us. Einstein was staring out a window and uh, came up with E equals MC squared and a whole lot of other stuff, just looking out the window thinking. It just came out of that brain of his that God created, and, and God uh, gave him something amazing with that. And God will give you something amazing too. But it's really important that when we're talking about the vision of our church, that we don't get burdened down with a whole bunch of what are we going to do, D-O, or how are we going to do it, H-O-W, that we really focus on the who. And what the who is in God, who he is, is given to you and I is absolutely profound. It says in 1 Peter 5, it says this, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, uh, under the mighty, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that has a mighty hand. I've met some mighty handshakers from some people that have some pretty big hands. Uh, I worked with a guy once in one of my summer jobs going through college uh, at a chemical factory. His name was Jimmy Robinson. Jimmy Robinson had the biggest hands out of anybody, hands, hands down, no pun intended, uh, that I'd ever met. And when I would tell people about Jimmy's hands, they wouldn't believe me, but he could not fit, the biggest welding glove wouldn't fit on his hand. Thumb, thumb rings, they actually make thumb rings that go on, on a man's thumb, the largest size. That would barely fit on his pinky finger. His hands were enormous. And I remember I told a friend of mine about it, and, and he thought, oh, yeah, sure. And then he met Jimmy, and he shook Jimmy's hand, and he's like, he's, he's, he's telling the truth. Those hands are ginormous, and his feet were big as well. He got pulled over once in the, by the police in Detroit, and um, they said, oh, can we see your driver's license? And he handed his driver's license, and the police officer said to his partner who was in the car, get up here quickly. you got to have a look at this. He says, show him your hands. He says, I asked if he had a weapon. He says, he doesn't need a weapon with hands like that. <laughs> but I think about the hand of God. I think about humble, your, humble yourselves. It is a humbling thing. Under the, the mighty hand of God. And, and the thing about his mighty hand, in his hand, the Bible says, upholds the whole universe. So all the material world that got created from the Big Bang or whatever when God spoke, all of those, all of those galaxies and all of the planets that are so massive and our sun, which could hold, I don't know if it's three million or whatever it is, Earth, it's, it's massive. And, and yet that's just a small star. All of that out there, God upholds it all with his mighty hand. And his hand is not above us looking to squash us if we do wrong. I'm so glad 
that the mighty hand of God is for me, not against me. I'm so glad that the mighty hand of God is not like a giant fly squat, swatter, that you, you screw up, you're gone, squash. I am so glad that the mighty hand of God has outstretched for me, that God has actually offered his hand of friendship, that God's hand actually goes upon us for what we would call in, in Christianity the anointing, that God's hand is favorable towards us. That's called grace. In our vision at City Church to grace the nations, to see the five as a number for grace, the five uh, fingers of God, if you will, outstretched towards people that don't deserve it, people in all kinds of situations, and in fact, all of us sitting here, from people that were hooked on ice and crack and smoking too much weed and drinking way too much and lost without God or worshiping material things instead of God, doing all kinds of stuff that, that, that wasn't God's plan, that was destroying us, that the hand of God didn't squash those people, including all of us, but his hand has been outstretched in friendship. I call that the divine handshake. His hands are, and his arms are wrapped around you right now. I am so glad that God is for you. He says, if, and if God is for you, who can be against you? I mean, a lot of people can be against you, but they can't prosper because there's a mighty hand that's out there. So God has not given us as our vision, a big to-do list. Have you ever had somebody give you a to-do list? I used to hate that growing up. Like we had um, seven kids in the family, stepbrothers, stepsisters, halves, all, all the rest of it. It seems like I got stuck with the majority of the work in the family. You're mowing the lawn, watering the lawn, cleaning up. I put in some hard work, and I used to hate it when uh, Friday would rock around as my weekend, it'd be like, here's your to-do list for the weekend. Here's your chores. It's like, oh, no. And until you get through this list, you're not going to enjoy yourself. You're not going to do anything until you get through this to-do list. I'm so thankful that God hasn't given us that. And, and as our vision, it's not about just all of us getting so busy doing things. It's just looking at who is God anyway and the how and the, all the rest of it just flows out of that. Now, I'm really big on making complicated things simple. I, I just believe that whatever God does, there's, there's profundity in it. It's profound, but it also needs to be amazingly simple so that you don't need a PhD to get your head around what it is that God has called us to do. And so quite simply... If I were to take the vision of City Church, and our vision statement is to grace the nations, again, to see the hand of God upon the nations of the earth, both peoples that are coming here from all over the world and sending out to all over the world, that if we look at that quite simply, if I was to put our vision into one word, that one word would be this. It would be friendship. That God has actually called us to be friends and to make friends with people all over the planet that God loves. Our mission, if I was to put our mission into two words, because it is an action word, mission, it would be make friends. Make friends. 
And I've discovered in my life there are basically four things that I try to do every day. I endeavor to do these four things every day, and they evolve around the mission of what God has called us to do together. And the first one of these four things is this. I try to make friends every day by being a friend. I try to make new friends every day. So wherever I go, I'm always thinking, I wonder who's going to be my friend today. I wonder who I can make friends, who I can reach out with. And, and um, you know, I was at the gym just uh, actually yesterday talking to a lady there, and, and none of these people are churchgoers. And she was all excited because uh, one of the guys that goes there named Michael, uh, and, you know, we've chatted, we had some good conversations actually, and uh, he doesn't work out. He actually goes there and just talks the whole time. So it's like, oh no, here he comes. <laughs> and if I'm in the middle of a workout, it's like, I don't want to slow down here because I'll just stop. And uh, this lady was telling me, she says, oh, Michael was so excited the other day. And I'm like, yeah, why was he excited? She says, he made 20 new friends. That's a guy that's not on a mission from God. Like, that's, a, just, that's just a friendly person. Him and his wife are extremely friendly, extremely outgoing. And I thought, he is gonna, he's going to do so well with the City Church vision, it's not even going to be funny when he finally you know, lands here, and I believe he will. He's going to get to know all of you guys by first name. It's going to be amazing. Him and his wife, Sarah, they're going to be amazing champions for the vision of what God wants to do at City Church. And we need to make friends. It's going out, walking across rooms. It's asking more about them than about you. A lot of people don't make friends because they got one thing on their mind, themselves. Me, my, me, eat, my, I, I, I. Get the big eye off <laughs> and have a look at what God, who God wants you to reach because God loves people. The second thing that it's kind of, this is, these are just non-negotiable things that, that I endeavor to do every day and that is to introduce existing friends with other friends that I have or connect with existing friends. I try to connect with the people I've already made. Otherwise, I'm just a friendly flea or flit or something. I don't know, just buzzing around, being friendly. That's, that's part of it, but that's, that's not the, the end game. It's connecting with existing friends and then connecting those friends together introducing new friends with existing friends. And then the final thing I try to do every day is to see friends become family. You see, the church isn't just a social club. There is a social part of church, definitely. That's why we take uh, and, and have space called time in the foyer so that over a cuppa, if you come early enough, you'll get a free cup of coffee, tea, or whatever, and, and you get to talk to people because that's something that's really missing in our society. We think that because we've got so many friends uh, on that little screen that we carry around in our pocket, we think that we've got 100 friends or 200 friends, and the number of friends we have determines our self-worth for a, a, a large degree. And it's like, that's not friendship. Uh, I'm not against uh, likes and friends and you know all of that, following people and all, all the rest of it, but. But don't call that friendship. Friendship is way deeper than that. Friendship 
is, is, is done in real time, real life, not just on a screen. It's one of the reasons that we, for the, for the time being anyway, we're not streaming our service because I, I would meet people and say, oh, I just watch you online and, uh, you know, it's just so wonderful. I think you watch me online. Is that what the church is really about? <laughs> it's just watching somebody talk? And I thought, you know, I just want to be able to talk to family, and I want family to meet family. I want friends to meet friends. I want to connect people together. Uh, one of the worst things, one of the worst uh, forms of punishment that they've outlawed in prison is called solitary confinement. It's the worst thing you can do to a person is lock them in a cell by themselves. They'll develop multiple personalities. They start talking to, uh, you know, whoever's in there with them. They have to develop that uh, on the inside of their head because they're lonely. And loneliness is the first thing that God said, this isn't good. When, when God created everything in the book of Genesis, he said, that's good, that's good, that's good. This isn't good. What wasn't good that man should be alone? It's not a good thing. And it's one of the worst things in our society. There are so many lonely people out there. Almost in, invariably, almost without uh, exception, whenever somebody is uh, involved in a really bad crime, they'll talk to the neighbors. They'll say, did, did you ever see this person? Did you know that person? They'd say, yeah, he stuck to himself. He, he was a bit of a loner. He didn't mingle with anybody. He just came and went. And I think that's one of the worst things that a human being can, can do or have is that loneliness, that isolation. The, the scripture says this. It says uh, a person that isolates themselves rages against all wise judgment. It's not a wise thing. It's not a God thing. And when God's hand is stretched out to us in relationship, and he's offering family and friendship, then it's up to us to introduce people to him and to ex extend our hand in friendship and, and, and make new friends and walk across rooms and, and be on the lookout every day, wherever you go. Whether you go to the gym or not, doesn't, that's just my expression, one of my expressions. But, you know, there are 7-Elevens with people there that sometimes have a little bit of time to, for you to talk to, not to preach at people. I don't believe it's just preaching to people. Get up, you know, on, a, on your shoebox and start hammering people. That's, that's not friendship. It's just, how are you doing today? And genuinely asking that question with a genuine concern, how are you doing today? Not, I, 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 I can't wait because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them this and I'm going to give them that. I'm going to tell them this. That's just some kind of a foreign deal. Even with... Um, with churches, the worst probably thing that I could ever think of that somebody could call our church would be unfriendly, a click. I went there, nobody talked to me. They all had their backs and they're talking to one another. I walked in, nobody, nobody even gave me the time of day. Nobody bothered to ask me what my name was. Oh yeah, a few people greeted me on the way in, but that's kind of their job because they're called door greeters. But to be called clicky and unfriendly in, in this church with this is us and what we're called to do is a violation of the vision to grace the nations. It goes totally against who God is 
and who God's called us to be in this world. Jesus was paid probably the highest compliment in his, in his ministry was this. It says, well, they said he's a glutton, he's a, he's a drinker, because he drank with people that weren't Pharisees and religious. Not getting drunk, obviously, but, uh, and he wasn't a glutton and all that, but that's what they accused him of. But then they said the, this to him, and I think, what a compliment. And I hope that they'd say that about you or about me. He was a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes, I think it says. He was a friend to the underprivileged. He was a friend to the people that religious people consider untouchables. We've got this system here. We don't talk to those, you know, those kind of people. He talked to them. He ate with them. He drank with them. And it was the religious people that didn't like it. For so long, churches in general tend to focus on their seating capacity. How big is the crowd? Measures the success of the church. Well, I'd like to say this, that it's not the seating capacity that determines the success of the church. It's the sending capacity that determines the success of the church. If God's sending you to walk a few feet across the room to say, hi, what's your name, and to get to know somebody, that, my friends, is the mission of City Church. It's not the seating. It's not how many people were there, the attendance. We tend to measure. Everything is based on that. You know, the church is not some weird form of entertainment. The church is never to become just an event that we attend. I know we talk about church attendance, and we talk about uh, attending church on Sunday. Absolutely, you're doing it right now, and I hope that this is worthwhile, and I hope that you get something out of this, and I hope that you walk, walk out different than what you walked in. But it's so much more than a, an event. An event can be like a rock concert or, you know, some, some guy getting up doing stand-up or something like that. That's entertainment. That's, that's, that's cool. There's a place for that, but... There has to be a place in your heart. And when I talk about this is us, there has to be a place in our hearts that yearn and that ache for people that are lonely and for people that need connection and for friendship to be extended. And because his hand is extended in friendship, his, his mighty hand is extended towards you and extended towards me. There has to be a place where our hand gets out of our pocket or or out of our armpits or whatever, and extends itself towards people that God loves desperately. That's vision in a nutshell. It's friendship. So that maybe somebody would call you a friend. Of prostitutes, drug addicts, drunks, tax collectors. So that maybe somebody would look at you and go, well, I don't know about their religion. I don't know about their expression of worship with you know, those guitars and drums and all the, you know, a bit of smoke machine going. Uh, I don't know about all that, but I know one thing. I made some friends there. People came up and talked to me. People came up and said, how are you doing? I would like to think that all of us would carve out some space called time to show up early enough to go and meet somebody and have a cup of coffee with them. It's not... It's, it's not, the main event isn't what so many people have made the, the main event when it comes to the church world. 
the measure of success isn't what so many pastors and churches have made it. They've made it something else. God loves people. Can you read your Bible and, not, and, and come up with some other? God loves people. Therefore, if I'm following him, if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have to love people more than the expression of worship or, or the preaching or how funny the guy was with the microphone or, or the building or all of that stuff. If I don't love people, then I can't say I love God. How can you love God who you have not seen? He says, if you don't love your brother or people that you do see. So I think about the main event. And as I, as I read God's love letters to us, his word, the Bible, I cannot come up with any greater vision than that. It's the who. It's who God is and who he's called us to become and who God has called us to reach. And there's not a person on the planet that God is not madly in love with. There's not a person on the planet that God's mighty hand is not outstretched with a divine handshake. There's a parable, we won't go through the parable, but many people were invited to a banquet that the king is throwing. And he sends his servants and says, go invite them all. He's got this big spread going on. And the servants are bewildered because people have come in with excuse after excuse. Oh, I've got these oxen. I just need to go out and, you know, give them a trial run. I can't make it. Others have excuses, and they seem like really good excuses. I'm getting married. It's a good excuse. They have all their excuses, and comes the banquet night. The master comes out. He's excited, but he notices all these empty seats at the banquet table. So then he says to his servant, he says, go to the alleyways. Have you ever been in a city that has alleyways, a bit of grunge to it? There's cities in the world that, that I've visited that I don't like. They're too clean. Sorry if you're from Singapore, but don't like the place. It's too much like Disneyland. It's like, where's the alleyways? Where would Batman hang out? I want to I see some laneways that are, you know, kind of dark. And, and who's hanging out? That's why I, I kind of like New York City, because it's got lots of those kind of places. They film a lot of things there because of that. And he says, go to those places. Go and compel them to come in. And then the place still isn't full. So he says, go to the laneways. In other words, the highways. Go, go. Go to the furthest reaches that you can possibly go to and compel, the, the Greek languages, drag them in. They've got my table, has to be full. I've prepared a banquet. I've prepared a, a, a table in your presence, in my presence, in the presence of your enemies. I want my table full. I want my kids seated at the table. Go and get my children. Reach out. Be friends. Connect friends. Watch friends become family. Extend the divine hand of God, the grace of God to every person and every people group and every nation and every 
down-and-out person and every rich person and every person on the planet that God loves, and he loves them 100% all of us. But it's our job to go and bring them in. It's our job to be a friend. It's our job to wake up in the morning. It's, this is the vision of our church. It's what we see together. This is us. And this isn't something that's just peculiar to our church and nobody else has this. Everybody should have this. It's what it means to follow Jesus and to have the passion and the heartbeat of the Savior that's, 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 that's adamant and passionate and, and divinely stubborn about saving all of humanity. When that beats in your heart, you can't look at a person anywhere that you go throughout the day without feeling like I just need to talk to this person. How are you? What's your name? Anything you need? I don't know. Like just it's got a beat in our in our chest as a church. Because of the who, the house starts to flow out of out of that. I think about in um, we'll go over there to um, Luke, I think it is. It's got to find it here. There's something that's very, very intriguing here. There's a parable again that God tells, and we'll probably stop there, but it's Luke 14. Oh, no. No, no that's, that's where the, the banquet is. It's Luke 16. Let me just read this. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 16, verse 1, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, you just got the sack. You just got fired. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job, so he's, a, he's maybe got a week notice or something, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. And he replied, the master told him, the manager rather told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. In other words, this is your lucky day, man. You just got a 50% discount on what you owed. Pretty cool. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. That's a fair bit. He replied, uh, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. In other words, a 20% discount today only. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, probably for the first time. And then he gives us this. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Here it is, verse 9. I tell you, Use worldly wealth. What for? Why, why would we 
What are we going to do with our money, with our worldly wealth? Use worldly wealth, what? To gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, and it is going to go, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's where the friendship becomes family. People get saved. Jesus said, make friends. This is your mission. Our vision is friendship. Our, our mission is make friends. Be a friend. It's the single most important thing that Jesus calls us to do. It's evangelism. It's mission. It's ministry. It's discipleship. It's stewardship we find here. Use your money to make friends. Verse uh, 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth. How? To gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Everything we have from God, every resource that we have, our time, our talents, our abilities, it all comes from God. James 1.17 says this, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Use all of that for friendship. And if you don't do that, listen to Luke 16, a little bit further down, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, if your agenda it's just to take what God's given you and just serve yourself with it and, and, and have the direction of it. Uh, I'm not just talking about money, but certainly that's included. If it's all self-directed towards self and it's not directed towards his mandate, his mission, which is use it to make friends for yourselves, then you're serving mammon. You're serving two gods. And you're going to be faithful to one and disloyal to the other one. You can't have it both ways. I, I get excited when I see what God has given this church. The resources here are staggering with talents and gifts. But so many of us are a little bit like the people that wouldn't come to the banquet because we've got other things to do. I get it. In fact, they say if you want something done, give it to a busy person. They're the least likely person that you'd give it to. But they're busy. No, give it to them, because they'll find a way to make it happen. And I just wonder, in our hearts, if we can find a way to make friendship happen with people. If we can find a way that maybe when somebody else goes and gets a friend and, and, and brings them into our circle of friendship, that we can find a way to help that person out, walk across that room, say hi, introduce ourselves, be more interested in them than we are about ourselves, talk more about them and, 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 than, than what we're talking about ourselves. I wonder if we can find a way in the midst of our busyness so that our master doesn't have to go, well then, for goodness sakes, just send a bunch of people to the mission field then, if you can't get it done here. I'd like to think that we'll still send people to the 
faraway places, the mission field, but we're still going to walk across the, the, the closest place of proximity, which is right here on the Sunshine Coast, in the middle of the Sunshine Coast, called Marichador. I would wonder if our church could be a city on a hill of friendship and a light of, uh, to lonely people in our community. I don't want to come to the end of it and hear, well, you, you, you took the resources I gave you. You did well, man. Nice car, nice clothes, nice house. Nothing wrong with that, but <laughs> how much of it did you use to, to make friends? How much were you willing to invest to see those friends become family, to become part of the church? Or were you a little cloister? The little club, us four, no more. We don't really care about walking across rooms. We're, we're quite comfortable discussing in our little Bible study what we think about the pandemic or what we think about this or what we think about the mark of the beast or whatever, whatever, and close our Bibles and we go home. Until next week, we're going to meet the same four people and, and have the same kind of a conversation when all these people are out there. Oh, but they're the enemy. No, they're not the enemy. They're people that God is waiting for his people to take his mighty hand of, an of anointing and to stretch out their hand because after all, we are the body of Christ. If your hand doesn't stretch out, his hand's not stretching out. He's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Tap your in. Wherever your feet go, he goes. Wherever your feet don't go, he's not going. Wherever your hand stretches out, his hand stretches out. If your hand doesn't stretch out, his hand's not stretching out. He's not calling the angels to go and save the world. That's our job. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are it. So my question in opening this season, this month of This Is Us, talking about vision, we'll talk about culture, our values, our mission, is quite simply, would you take up the vision of friendship? Would you take up the mission of being a friend? Both to people that are here existing already in the house and to people that are not yet friends of God. Would you be a friend so that eventually they can be a friend of God through you? Would you be a nice person? <laughs> People say, how, how do I do it? Like, do I need to memorize a script? It's like, throw the script away. Be a nice person. Smile, for goodness sakes. Be interested in people, because God is. Know who he is. And you'll know how he does it and how he wants you to do it. It's pretty simple. As a pastor, I'm more interested in our sending capacity into the city and what we're doing during the week than I am our seating capacity here. But I believe our seating capacity will represent people that come in because we've been sent out, because we're doing what he's called us to do. Amen? I, I'm more interested in the anointing that's flowing out there in the highways and the byways than I am just the altar call here. I'm interested in the altar call here, but that's where it all has to start. They don't accidentally end up in church. They purposely end up in church because somebody's been a friend. So those four things that I do every day, that I endeavor to do every day, I look to meet new friends. 
I, did, I, I, I look to strategize and connect with existing friends. I look to take and introduce my new friends to my existing friends. And I, I look at the friends I've made and the friends that you've made, and I think, how can they become family? So that when I say this is us, they can go, yeah, that's me, I'm all in. I'm all in with that. Welcome to the family. If you're here this morning, and I really want to say thank you for uh, coming to hear, hear me share the vision of our church and the start of This Is Us, and I hope that something has made sense or dropped into your spirit. But I want to give you a chance. Somebody brought you here, perhaps. I don't know, maybe you saw our, we our uh, website or something and decided to come and check us out. But if you're not yet a friend of God, His hand is stretched out towards you in friendship. So the first thing He wants to do is bring you into a relationship with Him so that you can have communion with Him, you can walk with Him and understand His heart, that He is, forget he is not against you, He is for you. So I wonder right now, if you wouldn't mind praying this prayer with me, and I want to give you a chance to come into relationship. God's hand is extended towards you. He honestly wants to give you life and life more abundantly. He's for you and not against you. Your life hasn't even really started until you've met him. You see what he can do, and he's done that with so many people here. But I want to give you a chance right now to be included in a prayer. We call it a prayer of salvation. It's accepting Jesus or asking him to your heart. It's not a, a formula, but I want to give you a chance to pray this prayer after me. So I wonder if you'd be bold enough, just with your eyes closed and, and really thinking about this. If I ask you the question, are, are you yet a friend of God? Have you asked Jesus Christ into your life? Have you given him your heart? The answer is no to that question that I'd love as we pray this prayer for you to pray with all of us, ask him into your heart, and have a brand new beginning in your life. So if you'd pray this after me, say, Dear God, I thank you for loving me unconditionally, for extending your hand of friendship toward me. Jesus, I accept your salvation. I thank you for being my friend. And I give you my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.